AgriTalk is brought to you by Full Scale from Helena. Grow Strong returns this season with breakthrough foliar nutrition from Full Scale at Reproduction. And by Propane. Propane is the energy for everyone, especially farmers. Environmentally friendly propane can fuel most anything on the farm. See how at propane.com. It is a beautiful morning in Norfolk, Nebraska. We are live at the Northeast Nebraska Farm and Equipment Show. Thanks to affiliate WJAG for the invitation to come back to the Cornhusker State. We're talking drought management, land values, and new technology in Nebraska. From the Northeast Nebraska Farm and Equipment Show via Farm Journal broadcast, this is AgriTalk. This morning we begin with a conversation with Brian Bruckner from the Lower Elkhorn Natural Resources District, then it's Jim Jansen from the University of Nebraska Extension, and right after the news, Margie Echelkamp from The Scoop. Oh, we'll also have Kevin Knorr from Volatant Tech. I'm handsome newsman Davis Michelson, and now the host of AgriTalk, Chip Flory. All right, Davis, thank you very much. Yeah, we've got some people coming in here to the cafeteria at the Northeast Nebraska Farm and Equipment Show. Interesting. Uh, going to have uh, a great time. Yes? It, interesting you mentioned the cafeteria. Okay. I've been thinking about Norfolk, um, and yeah. I can only assume... That it's yes. the land where finger food was invented, where they use neither spoon nor, nor fork. fork. Huh? Very is good. Very is that where good. it comes from? I you think know, so. Actually, the history of Norfolk and the name is very interesting because the the was it the Postal Service that that assigned the names at that time? It might still be. I think the, that's actually the, right, yeah. So they just assumed that when the city sent in N-O-R-F-O-R-K that they meant F-O-L-K. Uh-huh. Well, <laughs> no. They meant no. Norfolk. So yeah. even though it's spelled Norfolk, it right. is pronounced Norfolk. That's Have I got exactly that right, right, everybody? Yes, sir. Excellent. See, I know my Nebraska history. Look you there, boy. Almost as well as I know Nebraska soybeans, Davis. Oh, you have such a soft spot in your heart for those beautiful Nebraska soybeans. You know I do. You know I do. That's right. That's right. We'll be talking with some farmers out here as well and and uh, find out some of their challenges that they've got for the year ahead. Number one on that list, you've already talked about it, is is the drought management um, and, and how they're going to how that water resource is going to be managed in the year ahead. That's going to be really, really, really critical for northeast Nebraska. I mean, you remember what it was like in third week of August on the crop tour when Mm -hmm. we got into northeast Nebraska. Everybody that thought, okay, South Dakota's problems are going to go away. No, they only got worse when we got into Nebraska. A lot of zeros and no ears in in some of those northeast Nebraska cornfields last year. Soybeans suffered too, but... Some late rains did help that out a little bit. So, all right, we're going to have fun today. Uh, if if the people have got any questions here, like I said earlier, holler out, and we're going to get your answers uh, for you as quickly as we can. So let's get to the news, buddy. What do you got? Well, Chip, after a speech at the American Farm Bureau's Convention Ag, Secretary Tom Vilsack said there will be no compromise when it comes to Mexico's planned 2024 GMO corn ban. With hundreds of millions of bushels of corn exports to Mexico threatened, Iowa Senator Chuck Grassley had this to say. They may think that they'll be able to talk through this, but they aren't going to be able to. they got to use a sledgehammer, and that's 
the dispute process within the USMCA. Almost one quarter of U.S. corn exports went to Mexico during the last 10 years, including almost $5 billion worth in 2021 alone. Senator Grassley's fired up on this one. So- Sounds like he's had to deal with some trade disputes in the past, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, when he talks about having to use a sledgehammer, sledgehammer instead of talking your way through it. And by the way, hey, we're thinking about uh, Senator Grassley as well. He's got a little bit of a hip problem that he's got to get fixed. Oh, so he's ah. going to be down for just a little bit. Well, the Environmental Protection Agency held a virtual public hearing this week on its proposed renewable volume obligation blending requirements under the RFS for 23 through 2025. Brooke Coleman, executive director of the Advanced Biofuels Business Council, says, quote, EPA left some tools on the shelf for promoting innovation in cellulosic biofuel. Staff members expressed frustration with the proposed volumes for biomass-based diesel because they didn't match the volumes that are already in the market and don't account for expected growth in capacity and feedstocks, Chip. Yeah, the conversations that took place in this hearing yesterday, if you go back and listen to the conversations in early December that we had on AgriTalk mm-hmm. about the bio-based diesel and about ethanol, uh, ethanol very supportive, bio-based diesel not so much. The World Bank sharply lowered its global growth projection to 1.7%, down from an estimate of 3% growth in June, marking the third weakest pace in nearly three decades not only narrowly keeps the global economy out of a recession, World Bank forecasts U.S. gross domestic product in 2023 will increase 0.5% from the prior year and expects zero growth for the Eurozone. Yeah, you know what, Davis? I'm, I'm hearing more and more about the lower energy costs around the world, and especially in Europe, taking some of the sting out of this, what it looks to be a recession in, in 2023. So, Maybe there's maybe we're softening up the landing just a little bit. Well, according to Fed Chair Jerome Powell, the Fed must avoid straying into political issues that are not directly related to its economic management objectives, such as climate change, to protect its ability to bring down inflation without interference from elected officials. A House vote to establish the Select Committee on the Strategic Competition between the U.S. and the Chinese Communist Party clearly showed China is perhaps the biggest bipartisan issue in the House, if not all of Congress. In other news, President Biden asked Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, who is 76, to stay in her post, and she reportedly has agreed. And a group of six cheese retailers and cheese marketing specialists from Thailand will visit the Center for Dairy Research at the University of Wisconsin. I'd love to be a part of that delegation, Chip. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right, Davis, thank you so much. Let's bring in Margie Echelkamp, editor of The Scoop. Good morning, Margie. Good morning, Chip. So what's up with Google? What uh, What is that tech giant bringing to farming? Yeah, I was supposed to head out there last week to California and see for myself with my own two little eyes. Unfortunately, the Pineapple Express delivered the torrential (laughs) rain and wind it was delivering, but we still got the scoop for you guys via some virtual interviews. So what is happening? Alphabet, Google's parent company, is standing up Mineral, which is the lab and the business that focuses on agriculture as a standalone independent business within Alphabet. What that means is they are heavily investing in the future of agriculture, and they want to apply their expertise in three areas, artificial intelligence, 
machine learning, and robotics. Now, Alphabet and Mineral, they are not foreseeing a future where they are selling things to farmers, but rather they are partnering with endemic companies within agriculture. So far, they've announced a couple of the dozen partners they're currently working with. It includes Syngenta. It includes Driscoll's Berries. And working and bringing those technologies, embedding them in the inputs, the equipment, and the decision-making tools that farmers are using every day. A couple of other takeaways. One, yes, they are using the huge geospatial mammoth that is Google Earth. They've actually analyzed 10% of the total farmland on Earth to date. Also, they are working to develop rovers. So these robots yeah. that can go, go out and collect massive amounts of information in one 24 hour period, they can collect 1 million images yeah. and analyze dozens of plant traits in R and D purposes. They say that scalability is their superpower and they're eager to bring that to ag. Yeah, well, the the computing power that they bring to agriculture is is kind of mind blowing, and the ability to adapt out on the farm to that that high level tech is real, and it's and happening. they say yes, just real quick, Chip. They say they yeah. want to do edge computing for the next ten yeah. years. They think that's critical because of the lack of connectivity. Very cool, very cool. Thanks, Margie. That's Margie Echelkamp, editor of the Scoop. We're talking drought management next here on AgriTalk. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now, you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. You're listening to AgriTalk, where the conversation begins. Join us at 855-4-TALK-AG. Welcome back to AgriTalk. I'm Chip Flora. Glad that you're with us and with me as I am in Norfolk, Nebraska, at the Northeast Nebraska Farm and Equipment Show. Thanks again to WJAG for the invitation to come out here to the show. Had a question from the group with the reports coming out tomorrow. Uh, one of the reports that we're getting is the quarterly grain stocks report. And the question was, Davis, how do they go about collecting all that information? So I thought, mm. you know, let, let's mm. tackle that here real quick. So I went to the last quarterly grain stocks report that was released, and which was in September. And they list the survey procedures right at the back of the uh, the report. And it's basically the grain stocks estimates in this report are based on surveys conducted during the first two weeks of December for the December 1 quarterly grain stocks report. Separate surveys are conducted to obtain the on-farm and off-farm estimates. The on-farm stock survey is a probability survey that includes a sample of approximately 56,000 farm operators selected from a list of producers that ensures all operations 
in the United States have a chance to be selected. The off-farm stock survey is an enumeration of all known commercial grain storage facilities. So the grain that might be in a barge and moving down the river or on a train and might be moving to the Gulf or to the PNW, that, that's not going to make the, the list is how I understand it. So it's grain in transit doesn't make the list. Uh, in years past, that has been an issue. Um, I don't know if it's going to be a huge issue this December because of all the problems that we were having on the Mississippi. It's not like we no. loaded up a bunch of barges and pointed them south, and now all of a sudden they're stuck on the Mississippi still holding grain. Uh, There has been an increase in train traffic heading out to the PNW, both with corn and with soybeans, but I don't think that's going to be enough to have a major impact outside of it. So, But you are exactly right. That grain stocks report is the one that I think everybody's going to be looking at first when we get the numbers tomorrow morning at 11 o'clock Central Time. Great question. Great question. All right. Let's talk about drought management. Joining us now, Brian Bruckner from the Lower Elkhorn Natural Resources District. Brian, welcome to AgriTalk. Thanks for making time. Thanks for the invitation. Absolutely. So uh, you're holding a session here at the Northeast Nebraska Farm and Equipment Show. It's called Drought Management Response Plan. Uh, The drought in eastern Nebraska, it was well documented last year and extended into the fall of 2022. So how does the NRD first go about developing a management plan what do you what kind of factors do you look at brian so this has been a number of years ago but many of your listeners and those who are attending today we've lived through multiple droughts yeah. uh, it's 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 a natural occurrence it it's happened before it's going to happen again unfortunately we suffered through the driest year on record yeah in 2022 right here in norfolk and, and how that relates to my agency and our role at the district is that Nebraska's natural resource districts are responsible for groundwater management. And with us being so reliant on groundwater for irrigation, for domestic use, for livestock, for commercial and industrial uses, uh, we have to enter into that realm. Yeah. And, and so uh, in 2012 in our district, there were numerous circumstances across our district and across all of Nebraska and other parts of the United States where there were in-season groundwater shortages that occurred. Okay, one user was using, uh, there was a spike in demand from all uses, and subsequently it reared its ugly head and some people were short or out of water. Okay. In 2012, the district didn't have an effective means to respond. Okay. Emotions ran high. Uh, we had water users who were short of water, out yep. of water, uh, you know, and, and fortunately we got through that, and 2013 was a better year. We looked at that exercise and that experience as an opportunity to develop a, a plan for the future. Yeah. And so that's what our district went to task to do. Uh, we developed a drought management plan. We, we started that effort uh, in 2016-2017 timeframe. And the logic was was to develop a framework and integrate into our groundwater management strategy a scenario that would allow us, if we get back into that situation at some point in the future, 
of a means to potentially respond accordingly. Right. And that's what our district did. In 2017, it adopted its drought management plan. In 2018, it integrated a provision into its groundwater management plan, which took into consideration that drought management scenario. Okay. okay. And so subsequently, uh, we have utilized triggers from the U.S. Drought Monitor, okay. Which, okay. which everyone, I think, is well aware yep. of. Yep. Uh, it's, it, and unfortunately, northeast Nebraska has been locked in that exceptional drought uh, for a good part of late 2022, and, and currently that's where we stand. Yep. Um, parts of southwest Nebraska uh, are also locked in a similar scenario. If you compare to that map in 2022 to where it was in 2012, uh, most of Nebraska in 2012 was affected by this serious of a drought. But right. unfortunately, it's been stuck up here in the northeast yeah. corner. Uh, we're a little encouraged by some of the precipitation we've received lately. Yep. Uh, I'm hopeful yep. that as you know the spring unfolds, we continue to see timely precipitation. We sure as heck don't want to come out of this thing to the degree that California is experiencing now. No, (laughs) nobody wants to deal with that. And so, yes, we need precipitation because precipitation is what generates recharge to the groundwater aquifers. Right. Uh, We also need it in a timely way to sustain agriculture, to sustain everything that we do. Okay, so you mentioned the triggers that that were in place. What did that mean for water usage in 2022 for guys in northeast Nebraska? It meant nothing because the board had nothing in place. But okay. uh, by November 1st, which is identified as a date in our plan, our board of directors, if they're going to do, if they're going to enact something for the subsequent growing season, for the subsequent water use season, okay. by November 1st, they would need to enact any provision, and that's what they did in late October of 2022. So what does that mean for 23? So for 23, I'll be talking about this more yeah. at noon, Yeah. Um, but irrigation wells that aren't currently subject to some previous allocation are going to be limited to 15-acre inches that are in a D3 or a D4 category, as identified by the U.S. drought map, which uh, in late October there was just a little sliver of the southeast corner of our district that was not in one of those areas. So subsequently, uh, the lion's share of the wells in our district will be subject to that 15-inch allocation. Also, it's worth noting, municipal wells, municipal users, are also going to be subject to a 250 gallons per okay. capita per day limit. Okay, okay. It's, it's, it's not fair to just pick out one sector of, of the wheel of the users and pick on them to regulate. Everybody, we all rely on this resource. We all need this resource to sustain ourselves. We all have to share in the conservation measures. Yeah. So Now, can that be adjusted if somehow, some way, this transition from La Nina to El Nino does bring some moisture here into eastern Nebraska, can that plan be adjusted? I'm glad you brought that up because simultaneously the board also enacted a provision that if that drought map, if if that condition improves back to a D2 on that map for 14 consecutive days, those measures are automatically lifted or okay. automatically rescinded. So it'll be a juggling act for us to monitor that map as it improves. And, we, again, we hope that it does improve so that this is meaningless because uh, this is a lot of extra work for the district. It's a lot of extra oversight on our part. And, ultimately, we, we hope for, for better precipitation, for yeah. a return to more normal precipitation because longer term that's going to be in everyone's benefit. Yeah, and, and to everybody outside of irrigation area, 15-acre inches, We'll grow a crop, right, guys? It'll grow a crop. you got to time things just right when you're putting the water down. 
but you can grow a crop on that 15 acre inches. You can, and we do have flow meters on irrigation wells in our district, but there are some users who used in excess of 15 yeah. during 2022. Right. And they're concerned, and obviously I understand why, okay? But again, uh, we're all hopeful for uh, a return to more normal precipitation for timely yeah. rains. Uh, we don't need we don't need above average. We just need average, and we need timely rains. Uh, for for most of us who are familiar with what happened in 2022, for the little bit of rain that we did get, those came in a timely way. Yeah, and they carried us through. I, I, when I look at the data, I mentioned the 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 record drought for Norfolk, Nebraska. Uh, when I look at that data, it it was worse than in 2012. Obviously, yep. 2012 was very dry. I wonder how we grew anything on our dryland acres. And I talk to growers frequently who grew 150 bushel yeah. dryland corn, and they don't understand where it came from. I think it came from we had some reserve in the soil profile. We got some timely rain. Things worked out for us. Can we do that again with the same set of circumstances? I don't know if we yeah. can. Yeah, I really don't know. Exactly, because you know in 2022 the plant was going down and getting everything that it could that was left there. Well, there might not be I anything there. I think we depleted there. our savings. <laughs> That's right. For sure. That's yeah. exactly right. Yeah. Brian, you got a big job ahead of you for 2023. Good luck with it, buddy. Thanks so much. All right, that is Brian Bruckner, Lower Elkhorn Natural Resources District. Stay with us. We're going to check in with Brian Grady, get an update on what's going on in the markets, and then we're going to talk land values with Jim Jansen, University of Nebraska Extension. That's next from Norfolk and the Northeast Nebraska Farm and Equipment Show. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. Time for Markets Now with the experts from ProFarmer. ProFarmer editor Brian Grady joins us right now. And, Brian, the wheat market is kind of acting like Iowa weather. If you don't like what you see today, just wait till tomorrow. It'll probably change. Yeah, it is, Chip. And, uh, you know, we're seeing a little bit of uh, short covering here, uh, corrective in, in nature. And uh, so uh, working to the upside mid-morning. Uh, we'll see if it lasts or not uh, because there just isn't a lot of bullish fundamentals for the yeah. wheat market right now. But uh, uh, at the moment, anyway, uh, wheat is trading pretty solidly to the upside with uh, SRW contracts leading us. Yeah, we've got soybeans and soybean meal trading to the upside. And, and soybean oil is kind of barely mixed right now yeah it's kind of holding the uh soil oil is kind of holding around unchanged now um 
the crude oil market, it's turned solidly higher uh, okay. and trading uh, sharply to the upside. So uh, that should be providing some support to soy oil. But at the moment, it's more so for soybeans and the soy meal market. Uh, some spreading action going on there with meal and oil. Yeah. Corn traders kind of look like they've gotten into their comfort zone heading into tomorrow's reports, huh? Yeah, just kind of sitting there. And, and one yeah. other thing I want to mention was March yeah. uh, soybeans. They hit $15 this morning exactly and, and uh, ran out of buyer interest at that level and a back down. Now, we're still trading solidly to the upside, but just can't uh, seem to get buyers above $15 in that contract. All right. Red numbers in the livestock trade. Yeah, I'll start with hogs. Uh, just a continuation of that uh, yeah. sell-off there on a seasonal basis. The cash index, as I mentioned, uh, just continues to fall, and, and uh, that's putting pressure on the futures uh, and getting a technical breakdown as well. Uh, pressure in the uh, cattle complex as well. Live cattle futures, uh, traders are waiting on cash trade to develop, and feeders are pressured by the strength of corn. Excellent. Thank you, Brian. Pro former editor, Brian Grady. Opinions expressed on AgriTalk do not necessarily reflect the views of Farm Journal Broadcasting, affiliate stations, or sponsors. On your favorite radio station or your preferred digital device, AgriTalk is live every weekday. All right, welcome back to AgriTalk, Norfolk, Nebraska, the Northeast Nebraska Farm and Equipment Show. Glad to be out here again. Uh, interesting conversation about managing the drought that we've got in northeast Nebraska. And, and, you know, you go through a year like that, and it can have an impact on land values and rental rates and everything else. We're going to talk about that right now with Jim Jansen. He's from the University of Nebraska-Lincoln in the extension there. Jim, welcome to AgriTalk. Thanks for having me. You bet. What's your primary responsibility there at the extension? Yeah, so at the university, we take a survey on land values and cash rental rates each year, and that's one of the many things I work on. But risk management and land. Excellent. That's kind of what I do. Yeah, yeah, excellent. Uh, let's talk about the land values because, boy, we, it seems like everywhere you look at, there's a record being set, set at least in 2022. Maybe it's calmed down a little bit, but let's talk about the trends that you saw in 22. Yeah, so as part of our annual survey, we survey folks that work in the land industry, mm-hmm. brokers, farm managers, appraisers, bankers, people that have firsthand knowledge on what's happening. And it's uh, your prior guest was talking about drought. Mm-hmm. And the last time we've seen some of these trends that we're experiencing right now related to that extreme. Anytime you have things that do kind of a macro effect to the economy, things yep. that drive up corn prices, the common crops we raise, cattle, whatever, uh, we see extremes. And with some of those extremes that we're seeing somewhat parallel what we've seen in 2012, we had exceptional prices. Uh, there's been different forms of disaster assistance paid out. Yep. If you didn't take the grain to town, you may have got some disaster payments through your crop insurance policy. Uh, farm profitability is at a level we haven't seen in quite a while. Right. And with that, uh, people are concerned about inflation, especially much more with inflation this time than 10 years ago. Coupling all those forces and factors together, we set some of the highest prices we've recorded as part of our survey since the uh, early or to late 70s, early 80s. Yeah, yeah. Um, record levels. Now, the, the what has been the primary driver? It's got to be revenue. I mean, the 21-22 revenues that we looked at, that had to be number one on the list. So if you go to our real estate class on campus, we'll say the two primary factors driving farm real estate relate to two things. One, farm profitability. What yep. does that look like? And two, the cost of borrowing. Yep. Now, the Federal Reserve has done some things to combat inflation, and one of those primary things be uh, driving up the interest rate, the cost of borrowing for long-term debt. 
and that's definitely higher than it was a year ago. But even leading in early into 2022, we're still financing 30-year, 25, 20-year ag land loans for, say, 4.5%, 5%. Yep. Some of the more recent numbers are in the low 8s to high 7s for a 30-year fixed debt. But uh, people, if they didn't have the cash, they put down a probably a fairly healthy payment on it, and then they finance the rest. So there's that inverse relationship between prevailing interest rates and the value of real assets. And it's just not agricultural land. You can look at homes here in Norfolk, Nebraska, Ames, yeah. Iowa, whatever yeah. the case might be. Uh, same way with vehicles. And the, I think another thing people are looking at is land is a store of wealth. Yes. Uh, we debate with my colleagues at the university, what is land values? Well, you know, it's what somebody's willing to pay. Well, I think... Especially in the ag industry, we have sentimental attachment to some of these things. You're not buying it for your productive farming career of 30, 40, 50 years. You're buying it for that plus whatever's after that, right? Yeah. The family legacy. So there's some kind of that perpetuity effect. People are buying it just not for themselves but for the legacy of whatever they're trying to build. Yeah. Yeah. Davis, uh, that sounds really familiar to your predecessor, Mike Walston, editor at Landowner. You know, ground is something that you can stand on. You can feel it. You can... You, you can roll around in it if you want to because it, it's yours. Right. And it's that emotional attachment that sometimes helps to boost that value. And, you know, it doesn't come available that often, does it, Jim? It, it, Davis and I are always talking about the demand and the supply of farmland, and we describe it that way, demand and supply rather than supply and demand, because it seems like demand is always outstripping the supply. Right. And you talk to some of the folks engaged in the land industry that are buying or selling land. One of the primary factors we've seen, and I think there maybe has been a slight uptick in supply, but not, you know, we're not turning over 20% of the land industry across the corn right. belt every year. It's a very small percent. Uh, the 1031 tax exchanges. Uh, COVID made everyone think about their inevitable life, that uh, if something happened, what do you want to have happen to what you have? So you take that opportunity, and there's also federal discussion on reforms, what they refer to as reforms with the 1031 capital gains and that. And uh, some of the major real estate companies across Nebraska have noted part of the motivation, whether the buyer, the seller, or the combination of the two, has been that 1031 factor. We want to sell some ground we have in another state that we maybe inherited. We're going to turn around and buy that back in Nebraska near where we farm or whatever yeah. your connection yeah. might be. Yeah, okay. So the trend that you saw in 2022, was it consistent across the quality of ground? We've heard some some reports that the higher interest rates were starting to see the lo- were were putting some pressure on the lower quality ground late in the year. Are, any evidence of that in Nebraska? Nebraska is a unique state. You can basically divide roughly. There's the eastern half and the western half. Eastern yeah. half it rains. You have a lot of dry land ground. Obviously, there's dry land related to the, to the small grains and things of that nature out west. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems like still the areas where there's hot pockets are still very active. Some of the other areas, uh, especially the expectations of the sellers, what they're seeking, what they think the trends might be or should be, may not be in alignment with what uh, the individuals are engaged in, engaged in purchasing might be. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing that sets Nebraska apart, we have more irrigated, irrigated cropland in this state anywhere than anywhere else in the United States. Yeah. Um, in the future, water is going to be critical. Either you got too much of it or not enough of it. Yep. So that's one unique factor that distinguishes our state, and that's why at the national level some of these outfits are looking at buying into Nebraska farm real estate. That's one reason they're looking yep. at it is because of water. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Who is the buyer? Well, if you look at our survey, who is the buyer? It's people attending these um, 
events we have going on at the farm show today. Farmers are the top end. Yep. There are also out-of-state buyers. Um, one thing I would say is Nebraska farmers know the industry here better than anyone else ever does, even if these people have uh, capital to invest into some of these things. Yeah. Still farmers. Farmers are the primary people buying and the primary people that own it. Okay. What sets our industry apart from other industries is, and I don't remember the exact percents, but a significant amount of land is held in this state and surrounding states by people that are greater than 65 years of age. Exactly. So. Yeah. And that creates a whole host of other things. But, uh, right. It really does set us apart. Yeah. When, when you figure out if a piece of ground is going to come to the market eventually, sooner rather than later, you also have to look at the next generation. Is is there an interest in, main, in maintaining ownership of that farmland or not? And it, it's it, it's a tough situation trying to figure out just what's going to be available, isn't it? Right. Yeah. Yeah, I always say in my presentations, debt, death, and divorce, the three ways you can lose or gain land. And with that, it's a critical juncture because you have a step up in basis and uh, what can make or break an operation. Financially, yes, okay, you have to have land, you have to have equipment and all this stuff. What do you want to have happen to your legacy? Yeah. If you don't have that set up, it doesn't matter yep. what else yep. you do. Yep, exactly, exactly. Okay, take a look at 2023. What trends do you see developing? You know, in my opinion, land is 70% of what's happened, 30% what do you think is going to happen. It yeah. appears that farm profitability and put expenses are still a concern. Uh, prices for the new crop are trending a little bit lower than what the current old crop prices are. Um, I would say things are probably still going to remain steady with uh, pockets across the state that might be down slightly, and I wouldn't be surprised to see some areas, northeast Nebraska being one of those, that is very steady to even higher. Okay. You always keep pushing that benchmark higher. This is the highest price we've set. If you adjusted for inflation, the highest prices we ever set in the state were actually in 2012. Yeah. But uh, we beat that prior high, and um, I guess we'll see what happens. There's always that lagged effect when it, you talk about prices and how that's capitalized into machinery, land, whatever the case might yeah. be. You know, another thing about Nebraska farmland that I've always found interesting is farmland itself has got development potential. Because if there's not a pivot on it, you can make that investment bring the irrigation in and increase the value of, of the unirrigated or the dry land ground. Has that trend been in place? It, it seems like southeast Nebraska more than northeast, right? Well, each uh, legislative, uh, how should I say this, each area of the state is unique and distinct in the manner in which they govern groundwater resources. Yeah. With that, that influences the potential. When we talk about Dryland cropland with irrigation potential is two things. One thing, do you have the water present there? And two, do you have the ability to develop that based on the policies or restrictions that are guiding that development? Okay. And uh, there are still areas that we see a little bit. Um, there are areas we see some air ground coming out because of the shortfall in water and some of the things that we have to meet and satisfy with the different water compacts across mm -hmm. the states. So. Is the potential there? Yes. Does that interest always flare up a little bit higher when we have higher commodity prices? Sure. Sure. Okay. You mentioned interest rates earlier. Are we to that level that we might start to take some steam out of the land market or no? Have we not gotten there yet? Well, what are you talking relative to? 8% for a 30-year egg land loan doesn't seem very appealing right now, but it sure would have been 1983. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, when it was 16 18%. I think um, the players that are in the market, as long as they got cash, we're going to see things stay very steady to possibly even higher. Once again, land value is 70% of what's happened. When I say what happened, what was profitability, what do you have for capital, 30%, what do you think is going to happen? Okay. 
Okay. You know, we were going to talk rental rates, too. We're almost out of time, but rental rates, are they following the land values? Uh, the comment on rental rates is what happened to your property in 2022? Have you seen a sizable increase in 23? I don't know if we're going to see such an increase. If you're already on the lower end of the low end, uh, you're probably going to possibly see some changes there. So it's always relative, and that's why I talk about it in our real estate lectures. you got to benchmark where you've been to know where you're headed. All right. All right. Availability is going to be one of the things that we're going to have to watch in the year ahead, interest rates, and the outlook for the commodity markets, right? Yep. That's going to be our determining factors. Yep. If you can tell me the price of corn, I'll tell you what it's worth. <laughs> what about the price of cattle? Doesn't that have an impact? So the other thing, if you look back at our historical information, crop prices peaked first, then it was grazing land. I anticipate yep. you'll see with the cattle livestock cycles and some of these things, if cattle prices go higher, you'll probably see that lagged effect where the crop, or excuse me, the grazing land industry, yep. hayland, we might see that peak a little bit later on. Jim, thank you so much for making time for us this morning. Thanks for having me. All right, that is Jim Jansen from the University of Nebraska. We're talking drones next. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now, you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. When news breaks, the newsmakers talk about it on AgriTalk with Chip Flory. Welcome back to AgriTalk. I'm Chip. Glad that you are with me here in Norfolk, Nebraska. Davis, did I get most of the yes. ground covered there in the conversation with Jim? I think you covered it very well. You betcha. Excellent. When he started talking about the emotional connection to the farmland and yeah. and uh, uh, how that that adds to the value, I, my memory banks went right back to Mike Walston on that. He talked about that all the time, yep. and uh, it does have a big impact on on the value of land and what guys what what people are willing to pay for it. So the idea of somebody driving by a piece of property for. 10, 15, 20, sometimes 30 years, yeah. thinking every single time he goes by, if this comes up, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to get it. Yeah. And I'm then it comes that. up, he's going to get it. You're going to buy it. That's exactly right. Exactly right. We're at the Northeast Nebraska Farm and Equipment Show. And uh, among the exhibitors out here, of course, technology is all over the place. And uh, I'm going to try to get it right here. Volatent? Yep. That's All right. right. Volatent uh, Tech. It's uh, drone technology, and joining me now to talk about it is Kevin Knorr. Kevin, welcome. How are you, man? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good, Chip. Thank you for having us on. You bet. Okay. So when we talk with farmers about drone technology, there is still they, – they still kind of give you a, a little bit of skepticism when they wonder if it's going to work on their farm. 
talk to me about how you are bringing this to scale for for operations out there and, and how farmers are using it effectively. Yeah, so there's there's many different uh, ways of uh, deploying drones in the field today. I mean, you can do everything from the picture drones that are taking uh, images of your field for, you know, multispectral type images and crop health and, and all of that, uh, all the way up to the spray drones. And interestingly enough, uh, in the last couple of years when people would walk into our booth or when we would talk to them, the first thing they would say, and even this year, the First things, the, you know, those are spot sprayers, right? Yeah. And uh, uh, I will say this year's T40 drone is no longer just a spot sprayer. Really? As a matter of fact, you wouldn't even, you, would, you wouldn't want to have that for a spot sprayer. It's just too big. So too big of a drone for a spot sprayer. Yeah, well, absolutely, it's 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 a it's only a ten and a half gallon tank that's on it, but it, it takes two people to carry it. It takes a twelve thousand watt generator to run the charger that uh, charges the batteries for it. So, it's I mean it has a total lift capacity of two hundred and twelve pounds. So it's kind of a mini chopper. <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, only. Uh, flies on a grid uh, 10, 12 feet above your crop uh, and uh, stays within the field boundaries and, uh, you know, basically never leaves your farm once you deploy it. Now, is that that's designed for a, a, for a retailer of, of drone services, right? Not specifically for an individual farmer, right? We have all nature of uh, a person really? coming in. Yeah, app, your commercial applicators yeah. all the way down to, you know, an individual producer that uh, just wants to, you know, treat, you know, areas of his farm or do it when they're ready to do it. I mean, that's one of the maybe the big things that uh, have been issues in the in the past few years is a lot of fungicide being sprayed, a lot of insecticide, uh, you know, uh, even some some areas where they're, you know, applying herbicide, but at the end of the day, just being able to do it when it needs to be done, and a farmer or producer that could do it themselves, it really Boy, kind of stands out for them. Yeah, the the flexibility that it gives you, I think, is what I'm hearing you say. Yes. It, when when you get into some of the 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 volatile weather in the spring or in the in the middle of the growing season, getting out there and getting it done when it needs to be done counts. Right. right. No longer calling and get your name on the list. It's yeah. when you want to go do it. Yeah. So. Okay. So take me from the start of a growing season. What do you? How are you using drone technology early in the season? So early in the season, we've done, we're out mapping. So we've already got fields that, uh, you know, thousands of acres that we're, we're set up to do mm-hmm. as part of our operation for this next year. And so we'll go out and we'll, we'll get some of the mapping done, you know, preseason so that when we hit the field, we're ready to go. Uh, and then, I mean, when things start to green up, uh, there's some there's some uh, uh, noxious weed work mm-hmm. that we're doing, pasture work that we're doing uh, with the drone, more herbicide related. As the alfalfa starts to get ready for its first harvest, typically there's going to be weevils. You know, yeah. So we can we can extend that growing period for that rather than just cutting it down to get rid of the weevils. We can uh, we, there's spray work to be done that can you know without damaging the crop in any way. You're yeah. out there pushing an insecticide that takes care of the weevils. It adds 18 more day, growing days to that, that, you know, that crop. Yeah, yeah, so, exactly. And then to continue on through the season, 
uh, the next thing that uh, probably is coming is your uh, your fungicide, mm-hmm. uh, which is really kind of what that those big drones are made for. That two gallon per acre uh, mm-hmm. application rate. They're going out uh, running three quarter of a mile runs uh, out and back. Then they're empty. We got to fill it, put it back out, and do another one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I bet. Let me back up a little bit too. Yeah. Uh, I I left out that. Pre and post. You typically you wouldn't use that your drone for a pre because nothing's on the field at that point. There's it's pretty easy to, to typically go out and uh, do that with your ground rig or yeah. otherwise. But sometimes because of weather, a post you know it's too muddy yeah. or the field's uh, small enough that you don't want to run over it. You know, backing up and and getting lined up with your big sprayers. There's so. no compaction with a drone, is exactly. there? Exactly. <laughs> so that's what uh, that's what we're seeing a little bit now. Application rates are a little bit higher, so it takes you know obviously you're in that four to five gallon application rate, so you've got to accommodate for that. How how many producers are using it? Oh, I, you know, uh, nationwide. I think there's probably 3,000 or so of these drones out there, and we anticipate that that'll double this year. I I was just going to say, it seems like the the idea of getting a commercial applicator in with a drone to take care with a drone to take care of some of the issues. It, it doesn't seem futuristic anymore. No, it's not. And, I mean, the drones are here. We do have that a lot in the booth. Oh, this is the future. No, it's here. It's The future is, is how what new technology is going to come, you know, to add. Yeah. This year we added what they call binocular vision. And in years past, the, the drone has an obstacle avoidance uh, yeah. system in it. It won't hit an obstacle. Uh, but in the in the previous drones, it, you had to pretty much tell it how to get around that obstacle. Right. This binocular vision essentially sees the obstacle and plans on how it's, it's crazy. It. It's getting easier and easier and more efficient to operate. Kevin, thank yeah. you so much for coming yeah. in. And Chip, thank you for having us. You bet. That is Kevin Knorr with Voil- Volatent. Volatent. <laughs> Why can't I say that? Volatent. There it is. Yeah. All right. Hey, we're going to be back this afternoon right here at uh, the Northeast Nebraska Farm and Equipment Show. We're going to talk uh, markets, markets, markets right here on Agritalk.